This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Rum, do you hear something? Yeah, what is that? It's a bird. No, it's a plane. No, it's not that. Ooh, it's the best of the buzz with Bill. Is that right, eh? It's a good sign of things to come. Commentary on trending headlines with veteran AMI producer Bill Shackleton. Well, now. Billy! I say Shack! Yep, I'm back. We're here, and this article is probably not going to put a smile on your face, but it's an interesting developing story starting last week. Actually, the title is Canada's um, um, uh, Freedom Party is is uh, basically it's going getting bigger and is being seen around the world. And essentially, this is from the Toronto Star. So as you probably know, last week, there was, it started out being a convoy of truckers that were basically protesting the vaccine mandate. There are people that have weighed in on this. Elon Musk basically has said, Canada's truckers rule. Um, Joe Rogan, who is a popular uh, podcaster in the U.S., has basically said that Canada's in revolt. And, of course, our prime minister has basically said it's just a small minority of people um, that are protesting these mandates. The article is putting a different spin on it. Basically, the article is suggesting that, first of all, a lot of the people in this convoy that is supposed to be in Ottawa tomorrow aren't even truckers. It's suggesting that everybody that the, that everybody in this convoy or a lot of people have their own causes. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting to me is that how is this going to culminate in the tomorrow? Is I mean, is it going to be a massive demonstration? Is it going to be violent? Because we don't know who, at least according to the article, who's actually uh, in this convoy. We don't know whether they're extremists or not. Um, I mean, there's a lot of speculation on it could be a protest against the pipelines that have been shut down. So there's a lot of things we don't know. But what what we, we hope that it's a peaceful protest if, in fact, there is one. And I may be reading this the wrong way. But it could be it could be very alarming. It could be dangerous. Um, you, you just don't want are, it being a no. cover, Bill. For yeah. as we saw last year at the Capitol, um, you know, we have the right in our countries to protest legally, um, and and whether you agree or don't agree with what the truckers, the the percentage of truckers that that are you know have their reasons for not being comfortable with getting man, are getting uh, vaccinated. Uh, if you're not comfortable with mandates, or if you're fully are and saying, "Come on, come on, this is part of life. whatever your reasoning is," you're entitled to that. Where the concern that I think is starting to form and why people in Ottawa are saying, look, I don't want to be interfered with when I work downtown or whatever. So you have the police chief letting people know what's going to be done. The concern, I think, is those agitators that they're wondering are hidden behind this. You know, it's like you say, you see somebody protesting and then all of a sudden there's looting or something going on, right? And I think this is where you're wanting to say, is this going to be the problem? Who knows? Who 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 is putting that word out there could be an agitator asking or you know trying to shake up things before it happens. Um, 
It could be, it's, and I think that that's the things that unfortunately in our world we have to be aware. Are we getting those people who have come across and going to use this co- as a cover? Or are we going well, to simply I, get peaceful truckers, you know, saying, hey, man, this is a problem for me? Yeah, there's, there's again, a lot of this is media speculation, but um, there could be, as you say, agitators in there. Um, what's interesting is that there are some MPs in this country that have donated to the GoFundMe campaign right. to fund yep. this, yep. which is kind of... <laughs> Probably shouldn't have done it. Of course, they're well, all denying it. Well, yeah, and again, you're going to have those who are going to because, let's be fair, there are people uh, in political positions across the country that will tell you they don't believe in mandating anything. And and understandably, like, you, you know, you, you hate to see anything come to that um, where you have to tell people you got to do something. But public health comes first. It does. Um, and the interesting thing is 96 96- truckers have been vaccinated anyway so that tells me that a lot of the people that are in this aren't probably aren't necessarily truckers at all and we don't know who they are well i think they're getting they're going to have a lot of support from their brethren as they should and you know but we we do keep hearing the percentage that that have done it and we also hear from truckers who say come on this is part of the job you're going back and forth across the priority is take care of people you get some that that are aware and concerned about a government telling you you have to do something and what does that lead to what's the next thing so you're going to hear a lot of that i think for me i have to step aside and say i just don't want it used for as a cover for looting, for uh, violent protesting of other things that aren't involved or anything, even if it's about, I don't want any violence. I don't want people who have a right to live and work in Ottawa being inconvenienced or anything like that. But I definitely think people, we have a right to be heard. Yes, we'll see how this pans out. And like we I sure say, will. like like you said, hopefully it's, it's um, peaceful and yeah. Yeah, and and we don't see something like we saw last year at the Capitol in Washington. Let's hope not. Quebec touts ambitious plan to reduce waste. Retailers ask for delay. So this is a very interesting story, although not a new one, not a new concept. Um, That comes at the end. Um, Coming from us, from um, Global News, actually, so basically what's happening in Quebec is an environmental watchdog has given the Quebec government a failing grade when it comes to waste and reducing waste. And apparently they feel that the government hasn't done enough to, re- to reduce what is going into the landfill. So what they want to do is they want bottles, they want you, the consumer, to take your bottles back to the stores where you bought them. So basically, um, if you, you you're going to be paying a deposit to you know on a drink, say, or mm. a bottle of pop or whatever, and then when you when you uh, take the bottle back, you get your money back. It's just like the beer stores here in Ontario or wherever, right? It's causing a problem. Stores are saying, well, first of all, where are we going to store all these bottles? Because a lot of the stores, Quebec, well, the one the article mentioned isn't big enough to store 
hundreds, what could be hundreds and hundreds of bottles. And and what about the smell? They're, they're worried about the smell and cockroaches and whatever. And, oh right? yeah, oh yeah. Because Bill, oh, this yes. is this is something when you stop and think about it. Because the first thing you thought when you read it, Bill, I know Shaq's mind is. How the heck did you guys do it years ago when we used to come back and get our five cents back? You, I know yes. that was in Shackadoodle's head as he read this, mumbling to himself. I don't understand why you guys did this years ago. So, Shaq, that was it years ago where a lot of these people, they don't have that memory, I guess. So, And we shrink down space. Space costs so much. I hear them, and I stop and think, oh, my goodness, it's true. You would just bring the bottle back. You didn't even necessarily rinse it out. You'd, here you go, where's my nickel, you know, or whatever. Uh, what a potential problem. Well, I think, you know, we used to do it in the olden days where we bring our pop bottles back and all this sort of thing. But I think stores just had to heck with too much of a hassle to give people money, you know, bring them back. What do you do? Um, you've got the other hand, you've got the drink companies who are going to be required to recycle these bottles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to take what, them back. Yeah, well, they're saying is we have to buy special equipment, which mm-hmm. they don't have, to right. recycle. So yeah, to, to, bit, they're asking for more time, right, Billy? Yeah, yeah, they're asking yeah, you know for the, more time. This is like the throwback moment this. when, um, <laughs> when uh, who was it, CRTC or whoever announced that primetime television was That's going right. to be offered with the scribe video. And then right, all right. the big companies came back and they were like, we need more time. We don't have the resources. And it was just like a big, we don't have the excuse messy to get our way out of it. session. Exactly. Let us like, give us more time. <laughs> uh, listen, guys, somebody's got to take the onus on this. And this is a huge chain effect. I understand that, right? Like, we, oh, we yeah. got to clean up and we got to bring the stuff back and then the stores got to deal with it and then from the stores it's got to go back and then we have to get our refunds from the government for the extra charges of course everyone has to play a part but all the time what are we saying we're saying how do we as individuals take part in climate change and climate awareness and make things better for the planet well this is how this but is we exactly stumble how over recycling even because put it in the right yes. bin. I don't know what goes in what which bin. Oh yeah. man, I get frustrated. I'll just crush it up and throw yeah. it in the garbage. Hackers prey on public schools, adding stress amid pandemic. This is right. going on in the U.S. Yes, coming from Associated Press. Apparently, there are is a growing um, number of schools that are being hacked. Pub, and now the, they say public schools. Um, apparently what's happening is that um, public schools are, are vulnerable because there's several reasons. First of all, there's online learning. So you're not in a classroom. You're all over the Internet. So apparently what's happened is that people are – hackers are walking into to these um, Internet classrooms, whatever you want to call them, telling jokes – Berating teachers, berating staff, making fun of students. That's like that, what they were doing on Zoom, right? Remember when they did that? I, I guess so. And, they mm-hmm. bombed in there. Hmm. Yeah. Well, the problem is that they don't. Schools don't have a huge budget for for cyber security. So it's like I don't know what you're going to do about this, but so they don't have, I have- to wear with them. I have a question for you, Rum, when you, since you're the most recent student. Did you guys have the portals and stuff like that? And they would be quite vulnerable, wouldn't they? 
Yeah, we had, you know, Blackboard and other similar things to that, right, where you submit everything is always submitted online, submitted through these things. They uh, check for plagiarism, et cetera. But we never thought about vulnerability as a huge deal, Kels, because it's just normal. Yeah, you I get think thinking difference... who would do that and why. Like yeah, no one's going to break in there why? and do your exam for you. You can just hope, hey, man, hopefully exactly. they know the stuff better We more think of like ourselves or students compromising situations yeah. to be able to, you know, cheat. Or bothering each other or doing something. Right, yes. right. But this stuff, the reason why I find it quite um, terrifying is, you know, this is the, for some people, for a lot of people actually, when things, restrictions happen and things shut down, this is the only way for people to learn. Um, and it is a very compromising situation when we hear that, like, learning is not secure anymore, whatever that means, right? Yeah. I, I, it's I also still online. Everything of, is still moving in this direction. I get scared of what access to personal information they get of children and their families. That That is yeah, just so and, queasy and frightening because I know obviously their security schools know they have to respect, you know, a student's, whether it's, you know, any information about them, circumstances and stuff like that. But if somebody hacking in there, and and gets information. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure there's some people out there that that information is valuable for for lots of nefarious reasons that we don't even want to think about. Yeah. Well, and the thing well, is, if you make things more complicated, just one last thought, Billy. If you th- make things too complicated with these, um, you know, online learning scenarios, right. right? You say, okay, yeah, you have to, you know, put this encryption in and decrypt this, and then put your new password in, and then change to that, and then go click this. Families may not be able to follow along, and that nope. in itself is a barrier Makes to try to make things uber secure. Exactly, you still have to be, you know, give people a convenient way to join these uh, platforms, right? So, yeah, you're kind of opening it up that way to to hackers anyway. Billy, what were you going to say? I was just going to say the other problem is that schools apparently don't have to report if if they've been hacked. And, and so that there, there, this problem may be much bigger than what this, you know, than what's <sighs> yeah. really going on. We don't know. Well, and, and they're sending, teachers send emails to parents. There's different things like that. So in theory, you know, a school of, of 2,000 students, mm-hmm. that's a lot of information somebody could hack and get and find different things that to, 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 to be create problems. I mean, students go on trips or, or have things to pay for and, you yeah, know, you wouldn't want yeah. them to be able to gain access to things like that or, or even the staff and their salaries or, or pay, you know, like there, you get into a school, there's a lot of things that we just, oh yeah, haha. it's the, it, again, going outside of what uh, our concerns about students being able to take tests and you can't make it too hard, really important because there are a lot of people that's going to be a problem. Um, and if you go building up firewalls that, that keep people from being able to get in as easily or jump through hoops to do so, that's going to create a lot of discouragement, but you are looking at a system. And again, I'd like to assume separate systems. So if they're hacking in and they want to get you know enough control, you're going into different three or four or five different you know, systems to the school mm. uh, outside of the learning tools. I just wonder why would it be public schools are are, are, are I mean wh- apparently they're most vulnerable. What what about high schools? I'm not sure what the difference would be. I, I wonder I, if it'd be I, the I, same I if it's just a public it would school system. Be the same, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I think it's that. So bill. many students, so many classes, and you know, lack of security means it's just an easier target, right? Well, and and in all fairness, 
like what do sometimes people do? Mess around. They got time. They go in. They see something. And students will get creative too. You're learning stuff and stuff. Of what course. a good place to put it to you. And a hacker could literally go in there and mess around without you necessarily. Well, I mean, that's their business, not to be found. But when you mm-hmm. think about the the different families, the different people that are going, there's a lot of information Age to range. be grabbed. Ability to, to, you know, utilize tech. Yeah, there's just so much you're working with. And I really Mm. wonder if you're exposing yourself by coming into somebody's class and making fun of people and that, my fear is you've already got whatever you were after. You got it two weeks or three weeks ago. First Nations lead Olympic bid. Very interesting article article from the Toronto Star. So there is a proposal that is making the rounds. Um, so that, you know, that to bring the 2030 winter Olympics back to Canada, um, what it would be though different is it would be, it wouldn't be one city. Like, you know, when, when cities host Olympic games or put in a bid, it's one city. Right. This would Which be, is like when they did it in 2010, yeah, it was in different right. places. That's Right. But here we have a situation where um, First Nations groups, four of them, in conjunction with Whistler and Vancouver, are proposing this bid. The difference, of course, is that the First Nations would lead the charge. And this would be, I mean, they're thinking reconciliation. Um, Can you imagine what the pride of this country and of, of them if they could actually pull this off. I mean... Yeah, yeah. and, and the world, to, Bill, because this would oh, be a first course. ever. Of, of course. And the, the I've always been a strong supporter in the Olympic Games because they bring people and countries together. And this would serve as, I mean, hey, we did it with the First Nations. We led the charge and we got the Olympics back. Um. <clears throat> One thing that's important that it's got going for us, and if they can pull this off, and they are working with the Paralympic Committee to so that these people are all working together um, to get this thing to go. But one of the major problems with hosting an Olympic Games, as you know, is the cost. And in this particular case, I mean, what are you going to do with the, you know, with the with with the uh, with the facilities after you're done with them? A lot of times they just, nothing gets done with them. But because they've been in Vancouver before or they've been in Whistler, we already have the facilities um, that can be reused. So I think that's a huge thing going for us. Yeah. And we're hearing more discussion about places that have the reusable facilities. Um, I know a lot of the, ven- the places now put up venues that are almost, you can almost take them apart and put them in storage, right? Like it's the way that yeah. some of the stuff is designed depending on, on, on facilities that they're not going to reuse. They're only being used for, for the one-time event. Other places, these, these facilities get used, or, or as soon as the Olympics are gone, get used for daily public use, as, as in my opinion, they should be. Uh, that should be the main impetus for, for wanting to host that, hey, we, we, with that, with all the prestige, what it brings to the the community, uh, the money, whatever you want to call it, if you're doing an Olympics, not to mention the exposure for the athletes and, and all the countries and putting it on display, but you've got to leave some legacy to your public since so much of their dollars 
went towards it. So I, I like that, and that's what I've been hearing before this was proposed, and they spoke about this during a, a media conference the other day, Billy. Um, I'd been hearing this whole gets get it back to BC, let's get it back there, and it was very successful. The folks did all right. I, and I don't remember, Bill, this is like... When's this supposed to be? Twenty thirty or something? Oh, hang on, I got twenty thirty. Twenty thirty. I thought mm-hmm. uh, eight mm-hmm. years from now. So that's beautiful. Um. Yes, and I really, you know, really hope they can pull this thing off. And the one of the one of the other things that they're concerned about is will the International Olympic Committee go for it? Because it isn't just one city. So we'll see what they do. Um, now we're going to go to this one. Cold case team shines new light on betrayal of Anne Frank. Another Associated Press article. And some of our listeners are maybe asking, what is the allure of this story that happened? You know, Anne Fra- was o- over, what, over 60, 70 years ago? And um, basically mm-hmm. what happened was um, Anne Frank was betrayed. Um, and it's it's always been a mystery as to who betrayed her and her family and i guess for me personally having read a diary the diary of anne frank and any i mean we all know that it is certainly required reading in holland and the book became very famous and a team from the, uh, are led by a retired um retired member of the fbi um is 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 still heading this investigation team as to who betrayed her and basically what they've come up with is they they figure they had a they know a man Arnold Van Denberg apparently who may have done it because his family was pressured by the Germans uh pressured by the Gestapo other uh, to betray otherwise his family would be deported and I guess the lure for me is, um, is it a story? It's it's the, it's a cold case. And let's face it, if you're if you're a lover of a cold case, it is still unsolved. And I don't know. I think it's certainly if you're my age, um, or maybe a little younger. Certainly, there's there's a certain allure to these type of things, especially. If it involves a war, and I like World War II stories, so I think there's still a story in this. Um, and again, I think it's that mystery of finding out. Again, like you say, Bill, oh, yeah. it is a story. We we know what what it is, and and the people involved. And your heart goes out to what happened, um, and and who did who did what. I know there was a lot of that. Uh, people being hey they're there or you know there's a family hiding out here there was so much of of that when when the occupations were happening um so but i think being such a high profile and like you say the required reading there are many people who still have that even if you're not connected in your case a vested interest in it yeah and, and like i say i think the allure is, is of who she was right um yes. that that's what makes it a, a, um you know they may never know we may never know um but but they're still looking for answers, so who knows? And yeah. the crime of the, you know, informing, you know, what what is it, a crime? Well, that, a lot of people say, well, that was the duty of the individual. Yeah, yeah. So really interesting. Sir, um, we're tight on time, but let's see if we can fit your cockroach in. Essentially, a man had a cockroach in his head so he for three days. Apparently, he went, a guy from Auckland, New Zealand, 
went to a hospital because he thought it was his ear was plugged. So he spent a couple of days before he went there putting a hair dryer to his ear, and he went to the hospital and they they so they sent him home because they gave him drops. And he went back and he was they found a cockroach. So can you imagine cooking the cockroach because it's in your ear and then you know flooding it with water and eardrops? Yeah. And yeah, that's really you, you, something. You, you, you're feeding it and giving it a drink. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah, and then with a hair dryer, my god. Oh you know, man. Oh, I, it, it was still alive though, right? Because a hair dryer yeah, did nothing. Yeah. A cockroach would. <laughs> what are you doing, sunning me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We were talking about it briefly last week on the show, Bill, and I couldn't imagine because people talk about the sound of it in your ear and, uh, you know, what you hear, what you don't and and how it gets in there and how little a cockroach could stay in there for for ages. And I don't know what damage or what, but now, again, everybody after hearing that is grabbing at their ears. Bill, thank you. Bill Shackleton is a usual suspect on our show, Kelly and Company. You can catch Billy sneaking around the studio on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern on AMI-audio. And be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts for more of the buzz. All right, see ya. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.